Well, hello there, and welcome to the Speak Up podcast. This is going to be episode 147. I can't believe we're recording so many episodes. This is mind-boggling. And today we have a guest named Elizabeth, Elizabeth, like starting with capital L, Wesley Casella. And she is a very cool lady. She has a business and she really works with the Great Resignation, helping companies keep their people, keep it, and keeping them happy. Her company is called L-12 Services. She's in the Washington, D.C. area. She does uh, internal communications and she works on business processes and culture. She really helps you keep your top talent. And today we're going to talk to her about fatigue, about being tired. And, and I know that if you're not feeling tired when you're listening to this, then you need to let me know what you're doing because everybody I talk to is kind of tired. They're tired of always having a crisis, you know, with COVID. And as we record this, it's the Ukraine tragedy. And there's a lot of reorg going on as always. There's back to work. And, you know, and the work keeps piling on. So People are dealing with change fatigue, decision fatigue, and just all kinds of fatigue. And that's what we're going to talk about. But before I get into the interview with Elizabeth, I want to mention that this podcast is sponsored by Mixonian Institute, which is a training firm. And we also do a little bit of consulting, but it's mostly training and culture and coaching around communication and culture and helping people to improve their cultures, to make their cultures more healthy. And I define a healthy culture as one where everyone feels heard, understood, and valued. So you can see more about the company on the website at www.mixonian. That's spelled M as in Mary, I-X-O-N-I-A-N.com. And we can, you know, we can have a conversation about coaching or setting up a culture building training for, for you, either in person or live. So that's it for the sponsor's message. And now we're going to get into our interview with Elizabeth Wesley Casella. All right, Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on to the Speak Up podcast. I really appreciate your being here. And I know our audience is going to get so much value from listening to your the wisdom bombs you're going to land on us. But tell us, how did you, you know, what is your journey to starting L12? I love that your business is internal communications and improving processes, because I see the link between communication and all the outcomes that people want, don't you think? Yes. And thank you so much for having me on. This is a real honor and a delight. But oh. you're right. The way to improve processes is to, is to have better communication about them. And the area of expertise that we bring to the tables, we know the right conversations to begin um, and how to facilitate encouraging more transparency from gates of responsibility to people within a, a chain or you know the a team that that depends on each other. So we really dig deep to try and see how people like to work. What are the jobs that they like to do? What are the maybe the fires that they see on the horizon? And their innovative personal solutions that they want to bring to the table. Or you know maybe we tease that out a little bit depending on how extroverted or introverted the person is. But yes, talking is the way to solve 
a vast majority of the problem. It's not <laughs> tools, it's not software, it's human connection. Yes, did you hear that everybody? It's not software. Software is great, but you do not need to make a $50 million investment to improve your culture or to improve your business outcomes. But Elizabeth, I want, I want, and it's everybody, I know you're going to see this, but it's Elizabeth starting with the letter L, not E. How did you get into this business? When I was younger, as a matter of fact, I just had my birthday, so I can now say much younger. I realized that within the corporate world, I was filling a, a kind of a unique position. I was the executive assistant who, you know, guarded the door and did all the support work and really understood what was going on with my leader or leaders. But I was also working in tandem with the people who were doing the jobs that would forward the association or the company or the business. And what was unique about me was that I kind of filled that gray area between translating what leadership saw as the vision and identifying the holes that would happen in process and, and bringing that information back and forth across the line. I often say I translated English to English. And after a certain point, I decided that this was a skill set that I could use to help a number of organizations, not just one at a time. So um, I hung my shingle out and never looked back. Oh, so cool. Well, why is that so hard, though, Elizabeth? Like, why is it that they, so many things get lost in translation? I know part of, you know, I, I deal uh, with in my coaching side of the business uh, with a lot of people, all high performers, and they are about to get into senior leadership. So it's that pivoting, that switching from hunkering down on what your team is doing and delivering those outcomes to the vision of where the company is going. So I know that's a, a tough switch because it, it feels risky and it feels like, well, I don't really know, or I just have some ideas, but it's, there's some uncertainty there. But what do you think is the cause of the gap there in the between the top you know, leadership who are telling people, this is where we're going, and then the, the, the people who are responsible for making that reality happen. Do you think it's just because everybody's too busy? Part of it is that, but I think that there are different priorities at the different levels of work. Leadership has priorities to identify the, the North Star. Workers have priorities to get the day-to-day -day tasks done. And there's also a lack of common language. It, it's almost lost when a person steps up the ladder from being a worker to management and then from management to leadership. The anxiety that you were talking about, it's exactly right. It happens all of the time. You want to get into that new position. You want to perform well. You want to make a difference. So you're speaking the language of the new tribe that you've entered, and you're no longer speaking the language of the previous tribe that you left. Not intentionally, but you're absorbing right. as much as you can and your perspective changes. So when you have these, you know, two or three disparate levels of workers, then it's really difficult to not only speak a common language, but to share the priorities and the intensity with which those problems or those solutions feel to you. A, a person at a lower level having innovative ideas may feel uncomfortable speaking to those up the ladder from them for any number of reasons. But part oh, of it is that time. what they see is the really hot, important 
button or issue may be kind of poo-pooed by the people who are above them because it's operations. It's not strategy. That's exactly right. Wow, that's very well stated because that, and that's exactly the kind of problem I'm helping people navigate. You know, every time I open my doors for coaching, oh, I need to tell the, you know, this, this scary audience of senior leaders some message and how to make it compelling to them. And, and I do think that we, everybody is so freaking busy that that's why you and I and a lot of other people, you know, we, we're these uh, kind of like the birds that feed off the spinach and the teeth of the rhinoceros and that these large companies just because of, you know, the way they're structured to be financially successful, things fall through the cracks. And we're, and you know, when you're an outsider, you can see things with that fresh eyes and, you know, how many times have we convinced people or not convinced them, but reassured them, you're not insane. Yes, that really is a problem. And the fact that some people don't see it as a problem is not because of you. It's because of, you know, the, the, probably the way the situation is structured or some kind of contextual issue and, Anyway, it, it's true that people, it is hard to communicate level to level because people are just operating with a different set of facts almost, right? 100%. And the fact that we have people who are interested in communicating but can't from level to level means that you're right. Being that that third party is important. We see things, we hear things, but the, I and this sounds like I'm totally diminishing what we do, but I'm not. However, <laughs> the, the value that we bring to the table, you and I and any other consultant, is that we have time. The people right. performing the jobs don't have time to do that additional step or implement that other program or create an expert knowledge base to perform whatever work needs to be done. So we go in and we fill that. And it's important because... Oftentimes organizations will think, oh, you know, another consultant coming in and some sort of witchcraft and it's just going to be a temporary fix. But it's really not when you're talking about building a foundation of listening and learning and culture and value. Exactly. And yes, for all of you, in case you thought that, oh, it's just because I'm so busy that anybody that fell off a truck could do what we do. That's absolutely well, that, that they could. I don't know how. They <laughs> and I have fallen off a truck before. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so, yes, Elizabeth is one of those who just, well, I don't know if she just <laughs> fell off the truck, but it did happen in her past. So I did fall off a bicycle once. So maybe that's similar. Oh, my goodness. So, Elizabeth, what are you hearing from the people that you're talking to in terms of fatigue? Because I, perceive that, you know, a lot of people are just, you know, we were just so anxious for COVID to be over. And just like when the light was in sight at the end of the tunnel. And then now we're with um, this disaster tragedy in Ukraine. And I talked to people, in fact, I was talking to a super duper brilliant and 
engineering, high level manager at a top tech company. And she was telling me that she was distracted by the Ukraine. And so I thought that she had inside information. I'm like, oh, tell me what's going on that I don't know. And she did. And it was just the news that was making her anxious. Of course, we know that that's listening to the news is not helpful most of the time, but it's hard not to. But you know, what, what are you picking up at, when you work with clients as far as issues of fatigue? Right now, as of this week, we compiled some statistics on that. So thank you for asking. Go good. <laughs> Yay. Fresh data points, everybody. Right, Get excited. Right. About four months ago, we hit a sweet spot where people's fatigue was around one issue. And that one issue was COVID. It was COVID and work hybrid, that that being kind of one bundled thing. And now that COVID is starting to decrease in some areas, people are allowing different pieces of information to come at them. The news of Ukraine, you know, various economic activities, all of, all of what used to be our I wouldn't say easily manageable world, but our world pre-COVID that we kind of had our own personal systems in order how to give ourselves boundaries, what came in and what didn't, we then just kind of focused on COVID for two years. And now the way that we've, we've built our personal boundary system we, we realize that we need to be aware and conscious of, of other things that are happening. So four months ago, one thing to worry about. Today, 900. That's what it feels like. And people are still in the process of going through their own personal journey of whether or not they've shifted their priorities because of COVID. What is their value system? Because we know that people aren't leaving their jobs because of pay for the most part, or because Mm -hmm. of titles for the most part. They're Mm -hmm. leaving because they're not feeling listened to, or the processes are broken down, or they're burned out, or they're overwhelmed. That has informed why people have left. And instead of having a, a, a really unrealistic but beautiful opportunity to pause life, figure Mm -hmm. out what that looks like and how you want to work in the world, the world just keeps coming at you. It's like holding back the ocean with a broom. So we shift our focus from COVID to opening up the gates of everything that can come at us at our 24-hour news cycle, plus shifting our values and our priorities. So it's multi-layered, but it's it's causing an extraordinary amount of energy drain. Yes, that's what I mean. And, and you know, among the 900 things that are stressing us out. I mean, going to the grocery store every time I go, I'm like, outrage. I saw a dozen eggs. Of course, they were organic. $7. I'm like, what? That's insane. So it's it's not just the news. And then, of course, it's, you know, the the COVID thing is also something there because there's some issues that you feel in your flesh, like you actually experience them, such as uh, going to the grocery store or somebody getting sick versus news that's going on far in a different part of the world that you probably can't really do anything about. And it's all causing a lot of stress. So what is your, you know, what's something that you can suggest to say, we'll, we'll just give a avatar of a speak up listener, you know, 40, early 40s, two kids or two dogs 
and or maybe both and you know director senior director level working hard feeling stressed out wants to you know keep interested in being engaged in her work and she's feeling very depleted so what i mean i know solve that problem elizabeth (laughs) i'm gonna come at this from two different angles if she is in operations and she's in charge of teams and part of her value system is that culture matters and human experience matters I would say one of the easiest and fastest things that you could implement today, like plug and play, is to really get yourself acquainted with the idea of stay interviews, which if you aren't acquainted with them, hop on the SHRM website. A stay interview is an opportunity for you to find out why people like being where they're at. And you know, if out of the blue they got an offer from somebody else, what would it take for them to stay? with you versus taking this other opportunity. And the reason I bring up SHRM is because they've got some great resources with best practice questions that you can really turn into um, something that is completely customized for the organization that you're with, add in a couple metrics that would be of importance to you and roll forward with it. It's also not difficult because it's not the model of a 365 or 360, whatever it is, that you engage a whole bunch of people at the same time to review everybody else and and all that craziness. This is just you sitting down one-on-one with another person saying, what are your values? How are we meeting your expectations? What is it that we're not meeting your expectations on that we could learn from and maybe offer or implement in the future? So if, if it's an operations person that's experiencing this type of stress, that is the suggestion that I would have. If it's somebody who is in the worker position, who's not guiding teams, but is feeling this way, one of the things that I would recommend is approaching your direct report and starting the conversation about how to get on their calendar more frequently for meetings that have nothing to do with productivity and have everything to do with personal and professional development. Start that conversation so that your direct report gets to know you know who you are as an individual, your likes, your dislikes, your dreams, what you're working toward, and use those opportunities to bring any innovative solutions that you have to existing problems or let them know about problems that you think might happen down the road. Show your personal investment in the organization that you're paying attention. And by the time you do get to your, whether it's a salary review or a job review, you're not caught blindsided and you have a sympathetic ear that's listening to maybe reasons why you didn't accomplish something in one way, but you tackled it in another way. And that relationship development will hopefully help to either help you bypass or help to correct any of the challenges that, that you're experiencing, especially if you feel disengaged or disappointed. Oh, I love this. All right. And I know... I know that a lot of you listening to this are in operations, so you're welcome. Yes, you're going to have a stay interview and go to SHRM. That's S-H-R-M, I believe. That's that's the HR center of the universe. And I think that is a fabulous idea and it's so actionable. And then, you know, if if you're not asked for more frequent one-on-one development meetings with your boss, 
And I would add, you know, maybe if you're like not sure where where you fit, maybe you need a skip meeting. Maybe you need to meet with your boss of your boss just to kind of get uh, share perspectives. I think those are very helpful. In some companies, I find they're structured and they're planned and they're incorporated on a quarterly, semi-annual or monthly basis in some cases. And some people have never heard of them. So having a skip meeting with your boss is another way to be heard, you know, because it's one-on-one. I mean, hopefully if the if the person is is a reasonable boss, as I believe, you're, in your career, you're going to have hopefully one or two really good exceptional bosses. And then you're going to have a bunch that are just kind of okay. And then you're also going to have one or two really bad ones. So hopefully you've got a really good boss right now, or at least one that's not terrible. Um, that's always helpful in, in, the, in these situations. All right, so let's talk about, because these both the more frequent one-on-ones about development and the stay interviews, both are concepts of upward communication, which is the hardest kind. It's something, it's the first thing that goes out the window when there's a crisis because people get afraid to speak up and leaders get too distracted with putting out their fires to think about what would anybody possibly have to say to me that would be useful? And that speaks, so when you have good upward communication, it's because it's been intentionally developed as part of a healthy culture, I would say. What is your take as a communications and process person about upward communication and culture? It's extraordinarily important. And one of the reasons why it's important, again, I'm going to kind of flip this a little bit, but from the leader's perspective, it's an amazing way to find out what your own internal biases are. If you really don't think that anybody below you can bring you anything that has any value or why would you spend the time, you need to look at that for a minute. You, well, you nobody to, listening to this is in that category. Listen, of course not. Of course not. Because these are all the super bosses. Right? They're, they're the ones that, you know, that's 20 true. years from now, their workers are going to be like, and I loved that person. No, it's, I, I encounter it all the time. I have to step back and check my own internal biases. For example, if I go into an organization and they're solving a lot of their problems or they're trying to solve a lot of their problems with software platforms. Immediately, I have this knee-jerk reaction that says, no, that's not the way to do it. Well, (laughs) that's where they're at though. And instead Mm -hmm. of judging or instead of, you know, looking at the tool and say, oh, this tool is garbage. I need to find out how they use the tool, why they like the tool and whether or not they're using it in the right way. If they're using it consistently, that can work for them too. So I come from a kind of a process bias background, and I have to realize that about myself whenever I engage a client that does something differently than the way that I've figured out how to solve problems. That's wild. I I have a list in this culture building workshop. I have a list of 16 biases, (laughs) but I I haven't come across process bias, but (laughs) we have a new one to add to the list. It's true that... um, my grandmother used to say, you know, depending on where you're, what is she, that, that you're, the way you see things depends on where you're standing. And of course, there's this whole body of theory called standpoint theory, I believe. So it's 
is true. It, it accounts for for bias, and bias is it's a brain shortcut. So it's not that Elizabeth is intentionally trying to get everybody to look at process, but she's seen so much success in working with processes that naturally she sees the, you know, that, oh, we can solve this process, you solve this problem using a process, just like I see, oh, we can solve this problem with communication. And, but then we all, you know, there are always some things that cannot be solved with a process or communication. So, yes, uh, and leveraging institutional knowledge is, is a great shorthand for that. Yeah, well, tell me about that. I, I saw that in some of some of your work. I love that idea of leveraging institutional knowledge because the people who have stayed have that. So tell us, how can they do that? I know that there's people listening who have, you know, they're, they're at Boeing or Robert Bosch here in town or they're at some of the tech companies and they have stayed for a while and they do have that institutional knowledge. Lay it on us. How can they leverage it? Well, for organizations that have multi-generational workforces, this is especially fun, important. I, I find it fun. Maybe that's not the right word. But the, the way that we go about doing that is through focus groups. We, we do do a, a series of work where we do one-on-one -on -one interviews to, to help mine the information about how the team is performing from the individual's perspective. However, another part of our work is to hold focus groups. And during those focus groups, you know, somebody who, who has experience running them will be able to take the person with the institutional knowledge and elevate them and what they have to say in a way that makes the that connects the dots for the people who are newer on the team so that they know who to go to and how much to value that relationship when things go sideways, because let's face it, there's very little new under the sun. We repeat our you know, successes, we repeat our problems over and over. We just do it in different and new settings and with different and new people. Mm -hmm. So during mm -hmm. these focus groups, what we talk about is the current state and then you know, map out the ideal state and how do we get those steps in order. But it's not just a, a process of saying, okay, who has the next idea? What do we do next? It's a process of saying, have we done this before? Okay, what, what were the outcomes? What did we learn from this? Did we, did we figure out that if we turn left here, we're going to hit a brick wall, but if we take a mild right and develop some partnerships or, or collaborate with another organization, that we can create success here? Mm -hmm. I love that way of dealing with that conundrum of, oh, here comes Elizabeth with her bright new idea that I know that we tried it and it did not work. And of course, I'm sure Elizabeth would have like uh, something, if we could have that conversation without cynicism and without rolling our eyes, we might see that, yes, and it didn't work, but you know, we're gonna try it a different way because it's a worthwhile, idea it's worth it to try it again and to move around some of the variables so it has a greater chance of success so that is a great thing and sometimes i i feel like institutional knowledge it is perceived or it's not recognized as having so much value as it does and especially right now i've talked to people who tell me oh 
you know, they, they're feeling bad. They have institutional knowledge. They've been there a while and they're hiring people at their level at a significantly higher pay. And like, how does that work? Right. You got anything to say on that topic? You know, the, there was a, a recent article I read about how organizations are missing the boat who aren't implementing mentor-mentee relationships between Gen X and millennials and younger, but flipping that on its ear so that the younger person is actually mentoring the older person. So they're creating a common language and they're, they're aligning priorities and ideas, which I think is great. You know, it's, it's the opposite of institutional knowledge, but the person with the institutional knowledge is still gaining something from it. Right, they're right. They're speak the new language. And through that, when, when you value what somebody sa- has to say, and they're younger, they're going to be more inclined to listen to you when you're like, you know, that's a really great idea. We tried that back in 82, but since all we had to communicate with were fax machines, it was really a slow <laughs> process and we couldn't get to the product, you know, to the end of the project in time. But now that we have email and all the other things, we can try that again. Good job. Well, the like, oh, hey, I have this next idea and problem. Have you tried that before? Oh, you haven't? Okay, let's partner up and, and move the ball forward. Good, 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 good. Well, tell me about ecosystems. Like what is your, I know we all know what an ecosystem is, but you must see a point of leverage and looking at an ecosystem for, are you looking at, do you look at an ecosystem for just look at communication gaps, process deficiencies? How do you do that? We look at the organization holistically and the ecosystem oftentimes suffers from massive growth in one area and neglect in another. So if you think of it like a forest or a swamp, you know, the the fungi or fungus or however you want to say it is growing just completely out of control. And it's unfortunately taking all the nutrients and killing the trees. So if, if we put that in a business framework, then what we may be looking at is All the resources are going to marketing, but none of them are going to project management. When when we're looking at how to balance that, a really important piece of this, both at the individual level and the department level, is to find out what the gates of responsibility are and if everyone is clear with them. And I'll give you an example. An organization that is a a humanitarian NGO that we worked with, they did pre-hospital trauma care and war zones they, you know, obviously do very important work that is, you know, super, super time sensitive. What we helped them do was to identify through clarifying job descriptions, what each individual was doing now, not what they were doing in 2019, because everything Mm -hmm. was a well-oiled machine at that point, Mm -hmm. but with COVID impacting all of the other things that they were doing around the world, People, because they're passionate, started picking up balls and spinning plates and trying to solve problems, but they stepped on each other's toes and they stepped on each other's feet. Nobody had any idea what the person ahead of them in the chain of command was doing or what a finished product should look like. And they didn't necessarily know what when they were completed with a product and should pass it on to the next person. So clarifying gates of responsibility, both at the individual level and at the departmental level, so everybody knows 
where their lane begins and ends is super important. That helps to, to keep everybody's growth at a, a reasonable pace. And it helps you to monitor in measurable metrics where parts are lagging, where parts are over delivering. And, and so again, that fresh set of eyes and really deep relationship development and survey and interview mechanisms help us identify that. So we can report back up to leadership and say, okay, here's where some of your bottlenecks are and here's where some of your broken processes are. Let's focus on that and create a streamlined way of getting from A to Z. Yes, I just was thinking of a client I talked to last week in that exact same situation. And this, it wasn't an NGO, it was a humongous, ginormous company. But he had been, he had a mission, you know, certain deliverables and it, somebody, and he was new and somebody who'd been there older for more time. I mean, I don't know the ages of the people. It seems like they had been given some of the, there was overlap in their missions and their, and yet they were supposed to work together. So imagine how the older, more senior guy feels getting an email from this new guy saying, oh, I was wondering if you could help me do block, you know, A, B, and C. And the guy like, what are you talking about? We've been working on that for eight months, you know, and my, it was just a colossal, I don't know what the word is. <laughs> it was just You do, awful. you're just not choosing to say it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That is true. Because my mama would say, people who use profanity lack creativity in their vocabulary. So I always hear that at moments like these. So I, uh, I, my creative vocabulary is failing me, but it was a cluster disasters. But he, this guy who was talking to me, he felt like the company set it up that way intentionally as a way of having internal competition to achieve an outcome. And well, anyway, that's probably out of the scope what we can fix here. But it is true that when you can clarify, you know, what this, these two people in the situation I'm telling you, they needed to have a conversation. And as of the time when I talked to the client, he had not even had a conversation. It was just, you know, this disaster email that he wrote that ended up getting him in, in big in big trouble. And um, that's what happens when things are not clear. That's true. And it's human nature to have that, re, you know, knee-jerk reaction that says, oh, I'm getting replaced. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. When that, I don't think was... I really don't think that was the issue, but it was definitely is just irritating and annoying and, and you know, pulls up all the your biases that are really probably induced by fear because when if you're stressed out because of fear, you're definitely not operating at your best as your best self. Oh my goodness, the time is going by so fast, Elizabeth. So I want to touch on the topic of culture. I want to know... How do you see culture? Because it's such a big topic and everybody's, you know, supposedly concerned about it. And some of the companies, this is what I tell people. When, when, I, when I talk to somebody who maybe is not super happy in their job, but they want to stay at their company because the culture is so good, that's a good culture. But not everybody who supposedly has a good culture is in that category. Although in some cases, the company has such um, a brand 
you know, value that they're staying on because of that to keep that on their resume. So what do you think about cultures? Well, you know, I think that it's unique to every organization and Mm -hmm. it's dangerous for one organization to try and replicate another organization's culture. Not everybody can be Google. Not everybody should be Google. You know what I mean? Like, right. They're fun, but they are not for a law firm. (laughs) Right, right, right. Culture can be an attractor for new high caliber talent. And it can also be the reason why people leave. And it's always changing. It is never you know, you, you never hit culture perfectly and it stays right. that way. But right. having a, a real belief in the value of allowing the people to have a voice in what that culture is, what the types of programs are that they're interested in. It may be that you have a great culture, but you have zero opening rate for your newsletter. Well, it mm-hmm. might be important to HR that they have a high open rate and and the people just really don't care. That doesn't mean the culture's bad. It just means right. people need their information in a different way. So finding out what the people who are the bulk of your ecosystem need and mm-hmm. want and creating the culture around that is, mm-hmm. is a good way of having your steps in the right order. That said, as culture changes and as businesses grow, it is normal for there to be a divergence of alignments. You're going to have some people that have been there for five years that eventually they want something different or Mm -hmm, the culture mm -hmm. of the organization has grown to really embrace DE&I and some people aren't aren't going to be comfortable. Whatever the reason is, doesn't mean that the culture is bad. It doesn't mean that the people are bad, but a general level of acceptance for, for human preference and the ability to end the relationship in a positive way are really, really important. I love that. I love that. So true. Well, we're going to have to close, unfortunately, because this has been fun. <laughs> what I think I would like to close, and by the way, listeners, you know, Elizabeth has no idea what I'm about to ask her or any of the questions. She did not know. So, She's been a great interviewer, interviewee. I'm the interviewer. I think that I wouldn't say I was great, but I'm pretty, pretty good about having interesting conversations. So I want to close on this note. I want some encouragement for our listeners because I perceive that we're all feeling frustrated as we record this, you know, that the situation and and Ukraine is not looking very good. You know, by the time it's out, it may be that may be behind us. But at this moment, it's, it creates a lot of stress in the environment, even though we can't do anything about it. And then we've got inflation and we've got still dealing with COVID. Some people are now, now some people have a commute again. <laughs> Guess what? That two and a half hours is now two hours and 45 minutes. What kind of encouragement, what can you leave our audience for to encourage them? Okay, I'm going to toss out the the one thing that is the most difficult for me and I work on every day, but I would encourage people to engage in as much patience as they can possibly stand. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I know it's it's hard, but if you can take the the macro view and realize that we are at another really difficult point in time, the key to that phrase is point. This will not last forever. And as we're working our way through it, 
it being any number of, of really challenging moments, whether it's Ukraine or the great resignation or so on, if you can give grace, not only to yourself, to allow yourself to, to learn some new personal systems and processes and to those around you with the, the belief that they're trying as hard as they can, they're, they're giving it whatever amount that they've got left to get to the end of the day, that will serve everybody much better than trying to create a model that everybody needs to act in or have expectations that everybody needs to fulfill. The best way that we're going to harness the brightest minds and the most highly invested hearts right now is just by being gentle and directed. All right, everybody, gentle and directive. So be clear and give every and give people a break. <laughs> give assume positive intent might be another way of thinking about it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much. This has been fascinating and. You, everybody I know wants to know how to get a hold of Elizabeth Wesley Casella. She is on LinkedIn. Is there any other way people you want people to reach out to you if they want to talk to you or talk to you about business processes or something? Certainly. Like that? Our website, L12 Services, the, the logo has a hyphen between the L and the 12. Mm -hmm. The website does not. So it would just be L12Services.com. And if you have questions about, you know, the, the health and, and well-being of your organization or maybe what you might want to implement in the future in the resources section um, is a very short, very easy quiz that you can take to kind of get some ideas going about what you can implement today that doesn't cost a whole bunch of money, that doesn't cost a whole bunch of, you know, expertise and training. So I hope that that's a, a helpful resource for people. Well, Elizabeth, you're speaking my love language. That is what I love. Things that, and that's what I teach. And that's what I love to share with people. It's like things you can use today. Like clear communication is free. Just be clear. Take out the unnecessary details. So anyway, this has been fun. Thank you all for being a part of this conversation. And I will catch you on the next episode of the Speak Up Podcast. Goodbye, and don't forget to be patient and to give yourself some grace today. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.